It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. into Locked On Cougars. I'm Jay Catch, joined by my good friend, Sean Walker. And Sean, you, of course, host the Campus Report for KSL.com. You do a great job covering the Cougars for KSL.com. And you seem to be like my special editions of these podcasts. You're my co-host. It just happens we always are at the same event, so it works out. You poor, poor, unfortunate soul. Oh, Jeff come Paul on. from the Deseret News is on the other end of the uh, media room. You should really get a real reporter in on this podcast. We'll have to get um, Jeff on at some point. He's just smiling. He's got his own podcast, though. He shout does. Shout out to the Cougar, Cougar, Cougar Insiders. Insiders. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to the Cougar Insiders. Go download on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Am I missing somewhere, Jeff? Just give me like a thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay. But the funny thing is, I actually had a guy ask me, he's like, so do you have a good relationship with the other BYU guys because you guys compete podcast-wise? I'm like, no, we hate each other. No, we just, it's 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 the it's Anchorman News Wars. We got tridents we're throwing at each other. Come on now. We, we're all good buddies. We all are doing our thing, and we're having a good time doing well, it. We're so. all good friends, except that we're all, uh, we all hate Jake Hatch. There you go. That's, that's what you guys can unite around is that. Absolutely. All right, Sean, how are you, my friend? Uh, you know, I mean, I thought I'd be breaking a little more news mm-hmm. or we would be breaking a little well, more news I think news we all today, thought that, yes. But uh, not really a whole lot of news to come out of BYU Media Day here on the nope. campus of Brigham Young University, but that's not always a bad thing. I mean, there's some good stuff happening, good interviews, good stories to tell. I know I've got a lot that'll be rolling out over the next, I guess we're really only about a month away from fall camp, but over the course of the next month, um... So, you know, media day kind of being used for what media day is supposed to be used. I don't think that's such a bad thing. No. Um, But, yeah, just nothing too rushing, too pressing. Again, Jeff Callover there, our good friend, because he's the hardest working man in news media, is currently breaking a bunch of news. But for the rest of us... We're all trying to to ride his coattails to glory, you know? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I think the biggest takeaway today, Sean, for me is that BYU Media Day normally has some kind of news coming out of it, whether it's a scheduling agreement, a contract extension, uh, the ESPN deal being extended, was it two years ago when they made that announcement at Media Day? Mm-hmm. We all expected something to come out of today, but we got a whole bunch of, we're still working on it, essentially, is what I felt like, especially in terms of regards of an ESPN contract. Yeah, and, and uh, that's now two years in a row Yeah, that we haven't really gotten kind of that... I don't want to say earth shattering because I don't even think an ESPN extension would be that, but but that kind of hard hitting, like yeah. this is when news is dropping, expect this kind of a thing. Um, should BYU fans be concerned? I don't think so. I, I, I feel like, well, when you and the other media, I wasn't at this, but I, I listened to it multiple times. When you guys had your super secret summit, as I like to call it, with Tom super, Homo in, super in, in January. It was January or February this year. I don't remember when it was. He said the essentially... basketball season. That's all yeah, I remember. He said that we, we are partners with ESPN. We want to play on ESPN. And that made me think, Sean, that this is an inevitable thing. It's happening at some point. And I don't think either side is necessarily pressing to say, well, this needs to be done right now. 
I don't think that's the issue, but it would have been nice to see them announce it today because that makes a stir on a national level on a media day when maybe the national media pays a little more attention to you. You make a little more of an impact by making an announcement in that regard. Right. And that's maybe, that's maybe the key point right there is, is I think, I think both sides even know that like this deal is going to get done. Even talking with some people at BYU, like it's, it's, the the T is not all the way crossed, but mm-hmm. there's like a lowercase T okay. on the documents. Like yeah. it's that close. Um, you know, they just need to dot the I now. Um, so it's there. And I think both sides recognize that it's pretty much there. They just can't formally say anything because of contracts and legal reasons um, and legal entities and that sort of thing. But both sides know that it's there. Mm-hmm. And so they're willing to kind of speak to the fact that it is pretty much there, but it's not the ink isn't formally dry yeah. on that ESPN extension, um, which is both good and bad. I mean, right now in the short term, yeah, it doesn't look super great, but on the bright side, I mean, ESPN wants BYU. Mm-hmm. And after the last couple of years of where their football program has been, you know, maybe a little bit where their basketball program was last year, um, where a couple of their other programs have been, although the women's sports have been killing it, really yes. carrying the university. Um, but, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily carry a whole lot of leverage into television negotiations. So knowing that ESPN still wants BYU, I think is a good thing for the average BYU fan, uh, even if there's not an official, yeah, we're going to be together until 2027. Yeah, no, I, I think that's... That's not me breaking news. That's a random year, guys. <laughs> okay, calm down. Calm down. You're not in another eight years. You're not just going to just sign it up right now and sure. knock it out. I, BYU and ESPN until the Big 12 comes calling. Ooh, look at you go. And th- I guarantee whatever deal BYU signs, if and when they do it with ESPN, it will have an out clause in it that if BYU were to get into a conference, guess what? That deal has been negated. Yeah, it's been... It, they'll, they'll either end it or they'll find a way to fold it. It'll into fold it into... Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't... that's I, another thing is ESPN has a lot of deals with oh, a lot of conferences. Shocking. And a lot of those conferences may be interested to come for BYU in the future. So... Yeah, we're going to play an interview. You and I were both participating in, along with Jared Lloyd from the Daily Herald, with Ivan Mazel, who's one of the senior writers for ESPN, does a great job a true historian of the game. And he was here at BYU in part because this year is the 150th anniversary of college football's founding. Uh, They did a big special on that BYU's place in the history of college football. And you're going to hear from Ivan and he'll talk a little bit about where BYU stands in the historical context of college football, but also where they stand in kind of the, the modern uh, landscape of college football, where, where they, where he sees the Cougars and, I think he sees them in a pretty favorable light, and he makes it seem like, yeah, it, it's just almost a no-brainer that BYU and ESPN, ESPN's a critical part of college football, and BYU is integral to what ESPN's doing with college football. Yeah, and it's really it's been that way essentially from the beginning. I mean, BYU was a part of the first ever uh, tele- college football telecast on mm-hmm. the ESPN family of networks, BYU Pitt. I, I mean, you, so you really you can't have college football on a national realm at least over the last 50, 40 to 50 years, without what BYU has done. Yep. And again, I know the last couple of years, they've been a little bit more difficult, a little bit harder. Certainly there's a little bit more optimism right now, which maybe we'll get to uh, in a moment. But the last couple of years, notwithstanding, BYU's place in the national landscape is still, it's, it's relatively secure. Mm-hmm. And people locally even want to talk about where it is, where they stand, are they falling behind certain other uh, institutions that we may or may not be able to name on this podcast because 
I don't want to get sued, so I'm not going to name them. Um, but, but from a national perspective, BYU is, is I mean, it's still BYU. Yeah. There are still those, those presumptions of BYU. And right or wrong, some of them right, some of them wrong, they're really hard to break. And even a couple of bad years aren't going to break them. Yeah, I agree with you right there. That's, that's the biggest thing. So BYU is still a brand. And I'm expecting at some point, maybe BYU, the first day of fall camp, Kalani Sitake rolls out and says, hey, guys. How's it going today? Oh, by the way, our new deal with ESPN is done. They can be as simple as that in all reality. Yep. Or, or they could... The, the and it the, probably will be. And it also could happen that BYU is currently contracted to play in the SoFi Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve. How about a Christmas present for BYU fans from Tom Homo out in the island saying, guess what, guys? I know this is our last scheduled game to play on ESPN, but we're re-upping for five to whatever years. That'd be a pretty cool way to do it, too. Yeah, and I mean, right now, because, you know, you've let BYU Media Day pass, mm-hmm. um, it's probably going to look a little bit more like a thief in the night yeah. when that announcement finally comes, because everything was set up today for you Something. Know, th- this sort of centerpiece <laughs> yeah. to come out, and it, and it didn't. Um, and again, that's a little bit of a missed opportunity for BYU. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is doing anything college football-wise right now yeah. this early. I mean, it's... We're mid-June, not even late June, we're in Mm -hmm. mid-June. As one of my readers recently pointed out to me, it's not even summer, it's still technically spring. The summer solstice isn't until (laughs) this weekend. Yeah, Um, and yet here BYU is talking about football. (laughs) So I think there is a little bit of a missed opportunity for them. Yeah. Um, But not a bad thing. Yeah, I think most BYU fans would agree with you. Just a missed opportunity. If you're going to make that announcement, do it today. But yeah, at this point, yeah, it'd probably be a little more of a surprise when they do do it. But it is what it is. So we'll see what happens uh, with this. And anything else, Sean, I guess that you took away from today. I really enjoyed um, hearing from the two new graduate transfer running backs and Emmanuel Asupa and Tyson Williams. You can tell both of them are excited to be here. They both have got a lot. They got chips on their shoulder. They need to come in and prove something right away, I feel like. Yeah, they, they definitely, there is definitely an element of that, that they want to come in and prove something. Um, you got a guy in Tyson Williams who was buried on the running back depth chart at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Asupa a little less so. I think he was Rice's number two running back. Last year, yeah. Last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second leading running back, and he just kind of wanted a change of pace, and, and he came in and reunited with his old running backs coach and A.J. Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um but they're also coming in not necessarily looking to be the guy. Like they don't have to be the number one guy. They don't. They don't want to. Um, they don't necessarily have to usurp what BYU has right now. And by that, I mostly mean Lopini Katoa. Yeah, they're perfectly content working with Lopini because they know how the running back position works. They they know you need a lot of bodies. That, that mm-hmm. you, you need a lot of guys who can carry the ball and different skill sets and different types of running backs and that kind of thing. And I really felt that from these two guys that like. Like they're they're old enough and they're mature enough and they're experienced enough in college football to realize that it's okay to have a true team mm-hmm. in the running back room. I mean, that's how the position works. And so I think when you combine a Supa with Williams, with Lopini Gatoa, and a couple of the other change of pace guys, uh, Kavika Fonua finally yes. looks healthy. Tyler mm-hmm. Algiers um, certainly looked pretty good in, in some pretty limited time during his Richard season last year. Sione Finau is is actually back to full health after his mission. Yep. Um, I watched that kid at Kearns. Oh boy, he was fun. Good player, yeah. Um, so I mean, when you when you add it to all of that, all of a sudden this running back room that looked really really sketchy right after the 
the famous Idaho Potato Bowl mm-hmm. is looking a little bit like a like a place of depth, like a like a strength yeah, for pe- BYU in 2019. People, I think, still have this um, notion that college football is one running back can really carry the load. And BYU fans got spoiled about what Jamal Williams did his senior year at BYU. Yeah, so you can certainly have that. But in this day and age of football, period, whatever level you're at, Sean, the running back position is now by committee. Plain and simple. You're seeing it in the NFL. You're seeing it in college football. The nice part is that Tyson Williams, Lopini Katoa, and Emmanuel Asupa, just those three, all three of them are three different types of running back. And that, I think, is very beneficial for the Cougars because, yeah, you have a power back in Emmanuel Asupa on like a third and one. He's a battering. I mean, look at him standing next to him. I'm like, dude, this guy is huge. Tyson Williams has got plenty of size to himself, but they really feel like he's a home run back. And then Lopini Katoa is kind of that guy that does everything good. So I think all three of those guys, and like you said, the other guys mixed in, Kavika Fanua, Sione Fino, Tyler Algier, that running back group, going to have a lot of options to, that they're going to have to work out during fall camp. Yeah, I mean, the, there, there, are, there are weapons, there are options. Um, also, maybe something that I didn't quite realize when he first committed here, but he, he mentioned this to us today, and then I went back through the tape, and I kind of liked it. Um, but uh, Lopini Katoa? Got a little bit of Tyson Williams in him. Yeah. So I'm excited bit. what yeah. Tyson can do with a year of mentoring and teaching Lopini mm-hmm. to make him a better, more more inclusive, more all-around running back. I think it's going to be a very good thing yeah. um, for the future of that position here. All right. Anything else you took away from today? I know that they announced the Cougar Canyon, the new fan event that will be outside the stadium. Looks interesting at the very minimum in my mind. Anything else that stood yeah, out Yeah, shout to out to our friends in the uh, BYU tailgate scene. I know we have some mutual acquaintances yeah. there, so that's about to get a little bit of an overall. Tailgate guys, or is that, what, is that the company that's partnering with them? Tailgate guys, I think is what the name of them. They're actually going to have like, they're going to have spots where you can tailgate next to the stadium. Like, talk about shocker of all shockers, I felt like with yeah, that announcement. And we're probably a couple years too late on this, but hey, better late than never. Yeah. Uh, um, anything else that stood out to you? Uh, Zach Wilson was not wearing a, a shoulder brace. Yes. Some some video has been popping up on his Instagram feed of him throwing the football yep. with uh, with his dad, among others. Yeah, we talked um, to Aaron Roderick. I don't know if you were part of that interview, but A-Rod was saying that each week he's on a pitch count right now, and that's a baseball term. We get that, but he's allowed. I think he, the way he described it today, and he said this is not – Exactly, it wasn't hundred percent sure. But he said it was like somewhere around eighty throws a day. He has eighty throws he can throw a day, up to thirty yards in length, and that's the current benchmark. And it'll continue to increase until he's full go. And if he's doing that already, I think that the fears about him not being ready for fall camp are pretty well put to bed at this point. Yeah, and Zach's also very serious about this pitch count. Like it's something that's that's been worked with from. They call it a pitch count because it's actually come from some it came from baseball, yeah. F- that have worked with MLB pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach's really serious about it. He knows he can't overdo it or he's just going to see another setback. So, like, he's actually turned down opportunities. You know, some teammates want him to just go out and, like, toss a pigskin around at, at, at Kiwanis Park yes. a couple of times. He <laughs> said, no, I've hit my pitch count. Like, maybe in a couple of days, guys. Like, we'll see. Let's put it this um, way. I had so a, he wants to get healthy as well. Yeah, I had a conversation with a staff member who said that the comparison for Zach when with his surgery was on his labrum, it was, a, it was a comparable surgery to what Drew Brees and Andrew Luck went through. And if you think about it, Drew Brees, when he did it, he rehabbed the right way and he was back the next year and he's played at an all, uh, MVP, all, Hall of Fame, all-star level for years now. Andrew Luck pushed it, tried to get back too soon, and missed a whole year. Yep. 
that's what uh, I was told was presented to Zach and said, which guy do you want to be? Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's, and it's another thing that similarly in major league baseball, I mean, these labrum tears happen all the time and the surgeries have gotten advanced enough where people can actually come back from them. Um, Mid mid season, yeah. so to speak, where they mm-hmm. don't have to miss an entire year. And yeah, you're a baseball fan. Baseball seasons last interminably, so it's obviously <laughs> yes, different from, from a football year. <laughs> they play every day, but but it is possible for some of these pitchers to undergo labrum surgery, mm-hmm. and if they get the re- if they get the right surgery, get the right rehab, get the right conditions, and everything, don't mm-hmm. try to over over utilize it. They can be back for a playoff run. And it's not to say that Andrew Luck is a schlub, plain and simple. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just that he missed an entire year because he's Stanford. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But no, he he just he missed an entire year of his career because he tried to come back too early. Riley Nelson has talked about it. How he had a similar surgery when he was at Utah State. He had the exact same surgery a year later that it made him miss extended time. And he said, I've, I've tried to pass on that wisdom. So the fact that Zach, it sounds like he's on track. I think that's very positive news for the Cougars. Trust your training staff. Yes. I'm a little biased in that regard though. For good reason yeah. though. You, you have a little more of the Intel on that than most, than most do. All right, Sean, let's take a time out here. We'll come back on the other side. going to play two interviews with, interviews with you on today's podcast. One from Kevin Weiberg. He is the is the executive director of the College Football yeah. 150. It's an organization. It's an initiative that college football is celebrating its 150th anniversary. He is the executive chairman of it. He was in town as part of the festivities for BYU Media Day. You'll hear from him. He talks about what the CFB 150 is all about, BYU's involvement, and what he wants to see nationwide. And also later, you're going to hear from Ivan Mazel, senior writer from ESPN. This is the Locked on Cougars podcast. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Cougars podcast. Sean Walker sitting alongside me, Jay Catch, on our special Media Day edition of the podcast. Thanks again for downloading the show. We are available on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, the Himalaya podcast app. Please subscribe, follow, rate, and review. Check out Sean's work as well with the KSL Campus Report. That's available on all the major podcast platforms. Can I can I give a can I give yes. a non BYU plug? Go ahead as well. Yes. Uh, so go to your favorite podcast uh, podcast player. Uh-huh. Search for Jazz Shorts. Oh yes, my good buddy Ryan Miller, uh-huh. Jazz Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com, started this podcast. Um, I just cut it together. I don't actually do a whole lot. Okay, but uh, you know really what? Actually, does all the all the hard work. Yeah, really, really good. And well, I'm just a producer. I mean, what do they do? Nothing. Come on, I get paid. To oh do wait, nothing. you do what? Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that, Jake. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's jazz shorts. Mm-hmm. We try to keep it to thirty minutes or less. Yeah. Hence the shorts part. Well, you guys, it's similar to what our format here today. We're gonna go a little bit longer than normal, but most of the time, our podcast format is thirty minutes or less each day too. So, I understand. Yeah, and NBA draft is on Thursday. So it is. 
Good time to download, subscribe, Mm -hmm. ratings and reviews. Always appreciated. Absolutely. All right, Sean, you and I both were part of an interview with Kevin Weiberg. He is the executive director of the College Football 150 Initiative. This year, 2019, marks 150 years since the founding of this great sport. And man, has the sport evolved over the years. I don't know if you've read some of the stuff on this College Football 150, Sean, but looking back on the early days of college football, it's nothing in terms of just what it looked like then to what it looks like now, but it's still cool to be celebrating this momentous occasion. And Sean, we had a chance to catch up with Kevin Weiberg. He talked a lot about what the CFB 150 is going to be all about this year, Uh, programs wearing patches on their uniforms, all different things. He also talked about BYU's involvement. They did some specials today that involved BYU and their history and where they kind of fit in the college football uh, history books, if there were one written, and there have been some written, but BYU would definitely be a part of it in at least the last 50 years. So here you go. Kevin Weiberg from the College Football 150 Initiative. Yeah, this is the earliest of the media day opportunities and actually worked out great for me because we don't, you know, it's not crowded into that schedule in July where I'm trying to make the rounds of several of them. I that's going to be so, nuts. And, you know, this the, the great asset that BYU TV is and the ability to do those kinds of shows like we just did, you know, you don't you don't get that in those conference media days, even though they have their own networks, but they're trying to tell the story of 10 teams or 12 teams or 14 teams. So this was a cool opportunity. The initiative you guys are doing this year with this 150th anniversary, what's kind of the overarching theme for you guys? Yeah, so we've really centered on this notion of using the anniversary as best we can to remind people about some of the attributes of the sport that we think are the good in the game, right? So um, we, we're trying to use that sort of thematic, and uh, we've really we did a we did a we took a fair amount of time. I started on this in August of 2017, so we took a fair amount of time early on. We hired a marketing agency, and we we tried to talk to as many people as we could: former players, um, administrators even had a fan group that we put together to try to hear about what they would say about what are the positive attributes of college football. And it frequently came back to the three things that we're kind of using as our our tag, for lack of a better term, education, leadership, and community. And that seemed to really resonate with people, the educational opportunity the sport has provided. Uh, If you talk to former players, um, it doesn't take long before they talk about how the game influenced them in some way in their professional life beyond just what they learned on the field. And then, of course, the community-building aspects of the sport are really different than any other sport. I mean, there's great popularity around basketball and other sports, but the ability to bring a large audience to a campus, uh, the connection people have to to the Saturdays um, in different regions of the country, I think that's really what sets us apart. So that's where we're trying to put our emphasis. And we built out uh, promotional assets which exist online. So if you're the marketing director um, at BYU, you can come to our website, you can register, you can download these assets, you can plug in your own stuff. You can put in BYU photos and your own colors, but it carries that common thematic. So that's what we're hopeful that we'll see. Um, You know, this is all a voluntary deal for the schools, so they, they can p- participate if they want to, but there's no requirement. There's no penalty if you don't. <laughs> right? So that's, that's where we put most of our focus. And then really just trying to rally support 
from the stakeholder organizations, the media companies. ESPN was an early adopter mm -hmm. of this, and um, so it, it wasn't hard to get them on board with the investment they have in the sport, especially in the postseason. But we've had to do a fair amount of work to encourage Fox and CBS and the others to at least use the logo, do some things on air to support the anniversary, and I think we've gotten there. So I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that as we roll into August 24 and we start seeing games that we'll, we'll see a pretty broad national rollout of it. The logo on the uniform I wanted to ask um, yeah, um, is gone pretty well. Again, a voluntary program. We've been doing we've been doing a little checking in here in the last few weeks to see um, kind of where it stands as equipment guys are actually putting it on the jersey now, and we've got nice support. I think most of the FBS conferences will wear it season long. Um, we have a few that are only doing select games. We have some that are doing one game. Maybe they're doing a throwback jersey. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, different places have a different way they think about their uniforms, as you guys know, and. So if you're at Notre Dame, you know, if you put anything on the jersey that's unusual or different, it creates a fan reaction. So, um, you know, they're, they're doing a single game. Um, then we got, you know, unique circumstances. This is UCLA's, it's the centennial of the school. So at their home games, they're wearing a centennial patch for the school. And there's not really room for a, another one. And then on their road games, they'll wear uh, 150. So we've tried to be flexible in how it applies and uh, just encourage use and we'll we'll find out it'll be like uh, you know we see start that first week of games it'll be fascinating to see how many are actually wearing the logo and what it looks like how how massive of an undertaking is the whole initiative considering you know you're talking about 150 years of history also at hundreds of schools across yeah. the country. I mean, this isn't like a 32-team league that you're trying right, to Right, exactly, with, and this but... is the NFL centennial this yeah. year, too. So it's a different scope, and you have to I, – I really, because I've been around college sports for a lot of years, I sort of thought about it a little differently from the get-go. You know, this it, – it's played at all different levels. You can't really mandate that people do certain things. The strength of it, while it's grown nationally, is still local and regional for the most part. Um, so we tried to invest mostly in getting support from the groups. And, um, you know, we tried to take a pretty user-friendly approach to that. I, I've tried to say, you know, we, we want this to be complementary, not competitive to what you're doing. And at the marketing director level at many of the schools, you know, they're being asked to do a whole lot all the time. So to layer on another national initiative can be really challenging. So we'll see if that works, you know, and, and if that approach being sort of user-friendly helps to get better adoption um, of the usage. We'll just have to see. Um, and then it's up to the schools, just as BYU has done here today, to tell their own stories and put their own spin on what uh, the history has meant to them. Well, and in some areas, isn't that the power of this particular initiative? Because mm -hmm. like you said, one of the words is community. And yep. the regional impact, some, you know, the Notre yep. Dames of the world, and, you know, some of them have more, more national impact. But the fact that each school has their own history of college football, whether it's a Division right. three, and you, two, one, exactly. You know. I mean, you can't tell that. Uh, we don't have the plan. I mean, my total, the total investment. I was, we received money from the NCAA and the college football playoff to do this, and our total investment, I think, spending from our office by the, at the end will be no more than about two million dollars. So it's a drop in the bucket in terms of the overall oh, yeah. college football spending that surrounds this thing. 
Um, so that's right. You know, you gotta. What we're hopeful of is that people will invest some of their own time and money into um, making sure that they're telling their stories. And what we just tried to do is give them a framework to do that. And we can't match what the NFL is going to do. So that's another contrast. You know, I don't have a budget to go out and produce big video. Um, so it's just, it's just different. But that's a good thing, you know. And then it's also interesting. Uh, the Bulls feel like they have a real... Uh, story to tell about their own histories and community support and so they're doing things like uh, they're going to invest their own money in, in creating a, a coffee table style book that may be a little old-fashioned but um, about the history of the Bulls and what they've meant over the years to college football so it's a good example of other organizations you know sort of embracing it and doing their own thing which is good. You guys worked, you worked around the country, Pac-12, A-10, yeah. Big Ten Network even. You've seen BYU just kind of in the sphere that they exist in. What are kind of your impressions of BYU? Yeah, I've always thought, of course, I was very much influenced growing up, uh, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s, especially as the BYU uh, passing game took off and the great quarterback. So I very much, um, you know, had in my memory bank the successful teams and sort of BYU being essential to kind of the evolution of the game in many respects. And but today they did a great job of sort of highlighting some of those very points. Um, it's harder uh, in the in modern age, you know, because the, uh, the money is so big around the media deals and the conferences have been able at the sort of so-called Power Five yeah. level to exploit that. So the financial gap is, is a significant one. It makes it harder. I think it makes it hard for independence. I mean, Tom Homo has done a great job, I think, of figuring out partnerships and how to work with people in that environment. Um, so I, I think BYU football can continue to be very successful. Just a, it's just it's not an easy path, that's for sure. You mentioned how much when you were growing up, kind of what BYU's role was in college football, and I think a lot of people still kind of tune back to that. Is there still sort of that perception, I guess, that kind of vantage point nationally about BYU and the kind of the national college football landscape? Is there still a little bit of, of that? Well, I think this kind of initiative can help to remind people of some of that or maybe help them to learn about it uh, for the younger generations. Um, it's, it's harder. I mean, the, what, what you have here, um, just this, this studio setup, is a great asset. Um, you, you obviously have BYU Nation, of course, and figuring out how to empower uh, those folks to help tell those stories is really important. Um, it's, it's hard to break through, I think, on the national scene. It's harder than it used to be. So I worked on the launch of Big Ten Network, and I went out to the Pac-12 and helped with the startup of their television network. I wasn't inside the network as I was at Big Ten, but on the administrative staff. Um, but it's interesting. I think that even the conference network concept is sort of moving toward maybe having seen its day a little bit, you know? And so, but they're still video-rich environments, and they give, you know, how do those things morph into the digital world and... and uh, times are continuing to change. So the challenge for, I think, BYU is a challenge for everybody, figuring those things out, you know. How do you uh, continue to push out the national brand of the institution, but also BYU football in that environment? There you go. Kevin Weiberg, College Football 150. Sean, 
I think this is going to be a cool thing this year. It's, it's, it's an exciting time. It's always cool to see these kind of these benchmarks when we get to the in sports. 150 years. College football was invented or came about in the aftermath of the Civil War, if you really want to think about it. Yeah, 150 years of American rugby slash college football. It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, when Harvard and Yale were playing 150 years ago, it was probably a little more reminiscent oh, of yes. what we call rugby. Um, yeah. No forward pass, among other things. That didn't come until 1906 is when the rules yeah. were changed to allow forward And then forward revolutionized, passes. obviously, by BYU's own. Yeah, and, but that took another 70 years before that came about, even with Lavelle Edwards. So... Pretty impressive, but but yeah, 150 years. I mean, it's pretty cool just to see the history. Um, and and up until recently, college football has been such a regional sport mm-hmm. that looking back and kind of seeing the history of college football in these different regions—the Northeast versus the Southeast versus the West Coast, yes. etc.—you um, see kind of just these different sort of shades of the sport. And that's one thing that I think is really cool about this project is being able to highlight all of that. Um, some people want to highlight only the good. Yeah. Others, like Ivan was telling us. Um, well, we're going to get to Ivan here in a minute. Yeah, like like Ivan Weisel was telling us uh, recently, um, you know, you can highlight the good and the bad. Yes. It's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, the CFB 150 people, they're going to be all over the country. They were in Provo yeah. today, but, but they're going to be at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl August 23rd. They'll be at the national championship game January 13th. Um, they'll be at my favorite event that they're going to, Jake everybody's favorite, most recognizable, most iconic rivalry game, November 16th, the Battle battle of the Cortica Jug between Ithaca and SUNY Cortland. Hashtag Go Dragons. Only you would know that because you went to graduate school in <laughs> upstate New York. The rest, of my, uh, the rest of our listeners are like, okay, whatever. The Cortica, dr- the Cortica Jug, man, it's a thing. That sounds like a cool trophy. It's a thing. That sounds like a cool trophy, absolutely. But Division it, three football. But it is cool. They are they are spanning, like you said, every level of football. And there are hundreds of colleges out there and universities that play this sport. So it's very impressive that they're doing this to undertaking it. You heard Weiberg talk just kind of about the enormity of this. You asked him that question about, well, how do you implement this across multiple levels, multiple divisions, multiple conferences, whereas like an NFL where they're celebrating their centennial, as Kevin pointed out, this year only has 32 teams to do this with and it's a it's it's a massive undertaking but it's still cool all the same yeah still still very cool so if you get a chance to see the package Mm -hmm. uh see the patches not the package the patches um the banners the extra marketing there are going to be some extra social media um or you can head to what's the website hold on i've got it here somewhere this is riveting radio. I'm guessing CFB CFB 150.org is also the website. You can okay. see all of the stories, all of the history, um, even some downloadable elements if you want to personalize your swag. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll take another time out here, Sean. Come back. One more segment. You'll hear from Ivan Mazel, senior writer from ESPN. Had some great thoughts on the history of the sport, like you mentioned. He, he talks about the fact that they're not shying away when, in terms of ESPN's coverage, talking about the good and the bad when it comes to college football. You hear that next, right here on Locked On Cougars. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months, or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock 
deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Welcome back to Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. This is a, is a special edition of the show. We seem to do this whenever there's big events around BYU football, uh, stuff like Mark Pope getting hired, Dave Rose's retirement. We do this for the media days. And Sean Walker, my good friend, great writer covering BYU for KSL.com, is always kind enough to spend the time to sit down with me and record these. Sean, you and I both were in the Checks interview. in the mail, right? It is in the mail. Okay. And it's coming. I know I owe you plenty. Just making sure. Yes, we'll take care of you. Don't worry. We had we had Ivan Mazel had a chance. Paid in Del Taco. <laughs> you can paid in Del Taco. Come on, I'll take you to Sizzler if you really want a, a good meal. Come on. We can. Well, there's no Jack in the Box in Utah, so I had to go with Del Taco. There is Jack in the Box in Utah. You just have to drive. Oh, Cedar City. You got to drive yeah, about two and a half hours. Is it what three hours of Cedar? Two and a half hours of Cedar to get it. It's as shout, close as it's come. Shout out to the folks at Jack in the Box in Cedar City. Um, if you want to advertise, we're listening. That would be awesome. I actually have... Um, you can reach out to Jake's Twitter account, at PK Kenahan. Send him all your Jack in, Jack in the Box tacos. Oh, my gosh. I love Jack in the Box mystery meat tacos. They are one of my favorite things in the entire world. But Send pictures to at PK Kenahan. Yes, Jake's please do. Account. Please do. But I, I think that... With this sport, Ivan Mazel, who is he's been covering the sport for a long time, since the 80s at minimum. He hosts podcasts for ESPN. He's doing a lot of work with College Football 150. It was cool to meet him in person for the first time. I'd actually never met him. I met a lot of other people that worked with ESPN. Never met Ivan. It was a pleasure to talk with him. Great and, guy. And we had a great conversation with him. It's an extended conversation. You'll hear it here right now. He talks about what the initiative of the College Football 150 is, how ESPN's been involved, how he got involved with it. Fantastic conversations. Here it is. Ivan Mazel, senior writer with ESPN on Locked on Cougars. BYU football, in your opinion, to an ESPN brand, to, you know, just as far as being part of the national, you know, what, what ESPN does. Yeah. Thought it'd start with an easy one. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I'm, you know, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm on your side of the fence, you know. So, I mean, I, I think BYU is important just in the sense that it's got a historic legacy in the game mm-hmm. and, uh, and has a story that I think college football viewers and readers, hopefully, <laughs> From my perspective. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't know and, and, and can plug into. You know, you're not you're not selling them something that they don't really understand what it is. You know, they know that the last certainly forty years, no more than that, really, almost fifty years of the game, you can't tell that story without telling BYU story. So in that sense, I you know I, I think it's it's pretty obvious why ESPN would be interested. But you know, the business side's the business side, and, and, and I can't I, I don't be, I couldn't begin to know how to answer you from a you know a, a marketing corporate standpoint. 
we wouldn't have any prayer of answering yeah. it from that side yeah. either to talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. None, none of us would. That's why we're in not sports business. Right? Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your work, we just heard Kevin talk about ESPN bought him early into this 100th yes. anniversary. You've been working heavily on this. I've listened to your podcast and some of the yeah. stuff you've been doing with it. What piqued your interest in it personally this, with this anniversary coming up? Well, it was funny. John Dahl, D-A-H-L, John Dahl, who was running 30 for 30, he's, yeah. he's running this project. Okay. And he and I had an argument over you know, who came up with it first. Okay. <laughs> uh, he, he was producing a Manning uh, documentary uh-huh. in 2013 and noticed the 100 sticker on Archie's okay. uh, helmet his junior year. And so he, what did that mean? You know, now, I knew what it, I, I mean, I knew 2019, I have been waiting for 2019 to get here for a very long time. And finally, uh, in, in 2014, I wrote John Skipper, who was then the president of ESPN, an email and just said, hey, five years out, when do you want me to start bugging you about this? And he got right back to me, as he inevitably did, and he said, great idea, three years out. I said, okay, and by the way, you know, I don't think anybody in this building knows more or cares more about the history than, than I do. And so three years ago, John and I f- kind of found one another uh, with a guy in sales and named Rob Temple, and the three of us started trying to cobble this together to make a presentation to the, the mucky mucks at ESPN to get the yeah. money to do what we're doing. And, and they... And my whole supposition all along was no, well, I said it on the TV show, uh, which I'm sure y'all were watching. Uh, no, uh, thank you. No sport and network is, is as intertwined as ESPN and college football, uh, if you think about it, you know, because everybody spreads their goods. and. And college football is on almost every network. I think it is on every network. But we are so identified with college football. And we, it, I thought it was a responsibility of ours to do this. And, and the amount of commitment is everything I hoped it would be. You know, we have 35 hours of original programming, three series, uh, two documentaries, Daily one sixty-second vignette that will run for hundred and fifty days. You're going to hear that number a lot. Uh, you know, we're doing. Uh, I'm doing a series of podcasts uh, that I'm supposed to finish writing by now. Uh, uh, you know, stories on dot com. You know, game day we'll be doing stuff. Sports Center will be doing stuff. You know, E60 and. SC featured. I mean, everybody's going to be contributing, and uh, and that's what it should be. And, and it, you know, the, the shows begin in August and run right through the championship game. And they, I think they're. I've seen a lot of them multiple times as each new iteration comes, you know, into email. And, and they're, I, you know, I'm biased, but I think they're very good. One of the things we were talking to Kevin about is the That's fact the world's longest answer, but <laughs> that's okay. Oh, I think we've had longer today, actually. So you're, you're all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we're talking to about um, how 
this particular program and this particular concept of 150, you know, and the, and the history can be so tailored, like BYU did today. I mean, this is BYU's look at, you know, their history in college football, which, you know, of course, with Lavelle was kind of the main, the main focus today. Yeah. But this is something that can be done almost anywhere, and maybe it doesn't have the same national presence as, like, the passing game evolu- evolution. But every college football team has their own tradition somewhere, or, you know, of players or great seasons. I mean, it can be really tailored down to a, a local community level for anybody who, you know, wants to kind of draw out their own their own history. Yeah, I was listening to Kevin talk about how, you know, I, to me, if a marketing director doesn't seize on this, then you need a new marketing director. <laughs> I mean, this is obvious, you know. I mean, it, it's, uh, you're, you're celebrating... And I'm very careful about using the word celebrating, but I think in the end, case of an individual school trying to market itself, you are celebrating your legacy. Yeah. I think what our, what we were trying to do is not just celebrate. To me, I, the word I kept coming up with was commemorate, because we get into stuff that you know they don't want to publicize. I mean, the integration of the game is not a pretty chapter, and we spend an entire week of our... 11-week series is devoted to the integration. I look forward to that. Yeah. And and the evolution of the game is one week. And and that's, we're going to talk about safety. And, you know, we'll acknowledge the things that are good that the game has done, but we're going to talk about the things that it hasn't done fast enough or, or well enough. And, you know, I mean... We got credibility. We're trying to keep it, and, and uh, you know, we're never. People are always going to say, "Well, that's just ESPN or whatever this, you know, whatever people grumble about." But, but we are trying very hard to just tell the story and let people react however they want. Is part of the difficulty of telling that story just how different college football can be regionally, where you know it's not the same in Tuscaloosa as it is in Bristol, as it is in Provo, as it is in LA. You know, it's it's just so different in different pockets around the country. The Northeast reads it different yeah. from the Southeast, and that kind of thing. So, is that kind of part of the scope? Well, it, it, it is, but it, it's fascinating because this was a regional sport until the last thirty-five years. The only national team was Notre Dame. Yeah. And uh, then the Supreme Court in 1983 took television rights away from the NCAA and gave them to the individual schools. So then every game could be, you could put every game on television, which is so much of the modern game, of the business of the modern game has emanated from that Supreme Court decision. All of a sudden, schools, rather than try to sell their rights, they gave them to their conferences. Well, the conferences start thinking, hey, if we had a bigger conference, we could get more money for our rights. So there came realignment. And, and, and your games are being seen nationally everywhere because of cable television. Notre Dame's not the only national team anymore. And so uh, that's part of the story to tell, is, is my point. Uh, yeah, it's more important in Tuscaloosa, certainly than in New England. And, and the stories you tell are going to reflect that. But, uh, you know, and well, I can start telling you the history, but you know, the, the reason Notre Dame became a national team was because the, team, the local teams wouldn't play them because they didn't want to play a Catholic school. And that was sort of a happy accident. You know, so. Galvanized the fan base. 
Well, it's exactly what happened. You know, Rockney looks at it and he says, well, where am I? If these people won't play me, where can we go play where people will like us? And he went to the cities where the Catholic immigrants were. So, you know, why, they were always playing in New York. They were always playing in Philly. Always playing in Chicago. You know, Subway alumni, that's where, that's where that came from. You had to ride the subway to go see him play. Let's talk about BYU for a minute. Just you know, talk a little about the current BYU situation, and what are your thoughts about kind of where BYU's at, and you know the potential they have, but you know, kind of having not been, you know, other than the Wisconsin one that's on behind you, that's hard, kind of distracting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the, know. you know, what, what what do you view as BYU's kind of current position? In, in, as far try as to get them to put goes. the Washington game on. Then <laughs> <laughs> figure out how your undivided attention. Uh, we got the wrong UW. Uh, it, it's a... I think it's a. This is a big year, and, and I don't want to oversell it. But I mean, it's such a great schedule to to use as a boost, as a booster rocket. Because I think all four of those games at the outset of the schedule are, you know, you can paint a scenario where BYU wins. You know, and the fact that you know everybody is is blowing smoke up Utah's skirt right now and has been all for all year it's tailor made for BYU Uh, the fact that BYU had some success they could build on at the end of last season they've got so many young players coming back got a little taste at the end of last year of what playing well feels like and could build on that uh, Tennessee is kind of in the same boat BYU is. You know, struggled at the beginning of last. Tennessee, I think, is a year behind BYU in terms of the rebuild. But you know that that can be a tough place to play. You know, but you get USC the week after they play an emotional rival in Stanford, uh, and UW's rebuilding. I mean, so you know, I think those games, you know, if they can emerge, get through that gauntlet. Having held their own, I think it will be noticed, uh, and it will serve them well if it comes to it at the end of the season with the committee. Uh, in terms of building, you know, the people I don't know Kalani well. You know, the people I know who know this program and know Kalani, you know, like like Trev, are really confident in him, and that that means a lot to me. Uh, I like him. He seems like a I'd love to be able to cover him. He seems like he'd, he'd be, you know, he'd, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's good to work with. Yeah. He's really good to work with. Yeah, yeah. so with that, that, you can't, uh, anybody with self-deprecating humor, I'm a fan of. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I feel like their position, it, it, you know, I think going independent is so hard these days. And... Uh, but if anybody's going to do it, I mean, you know, and this is a good, you know, this, the cable, you know, the, the BYU TV is a great vehicle, and, and the national fan base is a great vehicle. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Do, do you think they have any other, I mean, do you think they've got a better route that they can take? I mean, the conference expansion, and you know, when the TV rights change, maybe that's that's the next big shift potentially if it happens. If not, who knows? But Well, the I think for, for BYU to gain a, you know, traction with, you know, 
with the Pac-12, they've got to convince the academicians in the Pac-12 that, that BYU is on their level. And, and I don't know enough about you know the, the academic side to, and what their criteria are to give you an answer. Uh, the politicians might be more difficult. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, now, and, and BYU brings its own special issues in terms of scheduling. I, I can't imagine that would really, you know, to me that would be secondary to the money if, if the money presented itself. Oh yeah, we'll figure out why. You know, we'll get around Sunday. Fine, come on, you know, but. Um, I, you know, if if they can make the numbers work, then, then BYU will have an avenue back to the conference. If they don't make the numbers work, then we'll be where we are now. How important is winning in that sense? Because that's, I mean, Utah, TCU, I mean, those schools made a name for themselves at the right time and at then the right time. jumped in, and TCU's had phenomenal success. Utah finally got to a championship. You yeah. Know, you know, so I mean, they made Could've it work them. for them. So, yeah. how important is it for BYU, like you said, this season, next season, these upcoming seasons, to put themselves in that conversation? Well, winning cures a lot of ills, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> and, and that's you know, it's just so profound, and it? I mean, it's pretty obvious uh, that uh, you know, and it's, TCU is a great example. If you look at what happened to them in the 20 years from the dissolution of the Southwest yeah. Conference to this. Uh, four different conferences and you know uh, but they found the right guy to run the program and they were in, you know the difference is they're in a fertile recruiting ground but but even at that they weren't you know Gary Patterson wasn't doing it with, with blue chip guys he just was better at evaluating talent than a lot of the other teams in Texas you know? so uh, yeah if you win people like you have you seen the, I mean you've been covering it for a while I just remember the years like 09 when they started strong and the year they beat Oklahoma I mean it seems like the BYU fan base is always solid you've got a solid group but when they do get that surge the Jimmer years for basketball yeah it's like the world changed it's like all of a sudden that you know and I guess it's true with any program that has that type of a fan base but you know that's spread out like BYU's is mm-hmm. but I mean there's there's a presence there that hasn't really had a chance to get super excited about football consistently because the team just hasn't been a national you know I mean the, win the Wisconsin game and then lose a couple you know that's yeah. kind of been the history over the last decade but the minute they beat Wisconsin boom they're in the polls yeah. you know and it's true. and so I think that speaks to BYU's stature provided they win you know and, and I think you know if they can get off to a good start people will notice and people will pay attention and part of it is the legacy. Part of it is it's a great stadium to watch a game in on television. You know, it's beautiful. And, and people always know that, you know, the camera's going to pan up to the, the Y on the, on the mountain. And then it's going to, you know, it's like watching the Rose Bowl every year, right? You know what you're going to get. And, and, and people look forward to that. They know. They think, okay, it's a BYU game. And, uh, so that, yeah, I mean. The foundation's there. I mean, we you know we we kept saying on this show we just did you know Lavelle was sort of foundational guy in BYU football. The foundation's built. You know, they just got to get the the, the rest of it constructed. 
I've always wondered if they're going to be victims of their own success, though, because they can't do what Lavelle did. No yeah. coach can come in and say, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and do something completely crazy at BYU anymore because they're too successful to do Well, that. you could do it if you were as successful as Lavelle is, you know, with his craziness. <laughs> it better yeah. work. Yeah. If you it didn't, have, figure, to, I mean, that's didn't they, have to work for Lavelle. That's how we ended that show. They said, well, what's next? What's new? And, well, yeah. I don't know. You know, but the guy, you know, you're desperate enough and you, you innovate because that's your only chance. You know, the, I mean, that's – I've heard Duff say it ten times today, you know. Right. And Lavelle said it on the clip. I was going to get fired anyway. I might as well try it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Kalani can't do that, though, because if he goes four and eight two years in a row, the fans will run him out of town. You know? He's too successful to, to be, to risk well, all of that. I understand what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? But if you find, yeah, and, and, and yeah, the people are more, are more impatient it's because true. you've spoiled them. You know, I mean, how about the, you know, the poor guy replaces Nick Saban. Absolutely. Uh, yep. He goes 10 and 3, they'll fire him. Uh-huh. This is Dabo, right? Uh, Dabo's not coming. <laughs> yeah, he's not coming. That's why Saban's replacement is currently at Georgia. <laughs> well, that could, you yeah, know, but I think people would be happy. I don't think Kirby would come back. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. too smart, and that's home, and that's his place. Yeah. I guess the last thing for me is you're based on the West Coast primarily. Well, I live in Connecticut. Oh, so you're in Connecticut now, though? Our daughters live in San Francisco, okay. so we, uh, we spend a lot of time out so there. You, you span the country covering stuff. Yeah. BYU, Jared's already talked about it, like the national fan base and whatnot. I don't know how many times you've seen BYU in person since they've gone independent, but what have you kind of been your impressions of that fan base when they've shown up to these games on the road in particular? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I thought it was interesting uh, right at the beginning of Independence that they kind of took, you know, the, the team traveled a little bit more. Yeah. And then they kind of figured out that one might not have been the way to go, but it spoke <laughs> yeah. to what you're saying. I mean, you know, you know if BYU plays in Texas, they're going to get a big crowd. You know if they play in California, they're going to get a big crowd. And, and uh, uh, didn't y'all play a game in Virginia? Didn't BYU yeah. play a game in Virginia at some point? Yeah. So they also playing there again, I think, in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, so that's I mean that that's such an asset to have. You know. Uh, and I think, and it will always be an asset. And they will, you know, they'll always come out win or tie. You know, it's the same as everybody else. But but when you do win, they're going to be there, and. and that's you know that's uh, what you know that that's the foundation that's the we just got to figure out how to get this done and they'll be there for us and there you have it Ivan Mazel and man he is a personable fellow Sean and I, I don't know if you if you've listened to a lot of the podcasts he's done for ESPN over the years I rue for the days of Bino Cook and him doing podcasts oh, together. Those were some great years doing those podcasts together, but he's done a great job ever since then as well with the other hosts on ESPN. And it was awesome to meet him. Just a fantastic gentleman. He's a gentleman and a scholar, I guess we should, is what we should say. And thanks to him for taking the time. But Sean, what I took away from it is he has done a yeoman's job in terms of lifting uh, this college football 150 coverage for ESPN. He's doing podcasts. He says he, the look on his face when he says I should have 
been done writing by now for all of them. Uh, you can tell he's not done with that, but he's the work he's done five years in the making here with John Skipper, the former ESPN president, now um, president of DAZN, which is that streaming service that we a lot of people are paying attention to. But big deal in Canada. It's a, well, I think it's becoming a bigger deal here in the states too. But thank you, UFC. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I think that. He has put in a lot of work here, and I'm excited to see what ESPN and he are going to produce here in the next couple of months. Yeah, they've already had a couple things roll out, Yep, um, and even more is coming. And then you're also going to see kind of some some sort of partnership series that also roll out, and it's in essence because of the CFB yes. 150. Uh-huh. Um, I know Matt Brown at The Athletic, is he's in the middle of a series on the history Michael of Michael Weinreb working with him as well. To it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, you'll, you'll see a lot of that. I'll have something on KSL.com. It's a website. You might've heard of it. Um, I'm sure you'll have plenty on 1280, the zone sports network, right? About CFB 150. I will be doing it. A special series in the hatch of knowledge. Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just on the CFB 150. We're doing some stuff with it. It'll be fun. Yeah. It's an exciting time. You'll see it all around. If you're wondering more about it, cfb150.org. Yeah, go check it out. It is a fantastic initiative. And Sean, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It was a blast to talk with you as always. Thanks again for joining me on this. And the check is in the mail. Well, Jake, just I I appreciate you letting me be the Emmanuel Asupa to your Tyson Williams. (laughs) I'll take that. I take that. I'll take that all day long because in all reality, you're the Tyson Williams. I'm the Emmanuel Asupa. Let's be real. All right, Sean, um, any parting shots or thoughts from you? Uh, Parting shots. I think I saw Zach Wilson throwing some tennis balls in the parking lot. So I'm going to go see what's up there. And uh, we're only 72 days away from 72 days today. Yep. 72 days. On the podcast, we're celebrating Blake Freeland Day today. Blake Freeland. The the Harriman High School Mustang. Yeah. Triple state champion in track and field, by the way. Yeah. Former uh, Harriman tight end. He's a ass. Slash quarterback. Slash Slash everything. Linebacker. Yes, everything. Uh, But, anyways, yes. He played safety at one time. Probably. Who knows? <laughs> he probably they probably said, Hey coach, I want to play this position. Yeah, go ahead, Blake. No problem. Naturally at BYU, he's a tackle. As he should be with those feet. Absolutely. Sure. All right, Sean. Thanks again for taking the time. It was a blast to catch up with you and we will do this again soon, I'm sure. So enjoy the rest of your day whenever you hear this. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the podcast. Catch you up on everything else from BYU Sports and We've got plenty of interviews we're going to roll out over the next couple of weeks. We had a lot of coaches and players we caught up with, so stay tuned for that. It'll be all covered right here on Locked on Cougars. Listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.